And just not having to ever do that again is, I mean, like that's worth it. To You're never just selling the, the, the dream on all fronts, like <laughs> sales without having to do cold calls, leadership without having to do forecast calls. Like, no, no, what what paradise is this? What you what paradise is this? into here? This is this is a whole different type. It sounds of like Valhalla. I'll be honest, I still don't fully believe you, but hey, we'll take your word for it. That's some royalty-free shit, people. That's what we do. Well, we're back. I'm Puyan from Scratchpad. We've got Corp with us, as always. As always. And really excited for our guest today, Sam McKenna. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit, Sam, how you got into sales in the first place? I think you guys are probably in in the same boat. Like I fell into sales. I wasn't, you know, six years old, new to the States and thinking about, you know, I can't wait to be a salesperson. Um, In fact, like I realized too, like the most pivotal jobs I ever had were jobs I actually turned down um, at first. So sales was that. Um, I got uh, offered a job to be an account manager and I was like, boof, cold calling and sending sales emails and no thanks. Um, And I was a master negotiator in my young age and asked for a whopping $5,000 more in base salary, which they gave me. I was very, very excited about. Um, can, we, sorry, and- can I interrupt you and just pause there for a second? Because <laughs> what you just shared is more than what most folks know. Oh. You said that you turned down, I just want to get this right. You turned down an account management job because no thanks to cold calling. So you actually knew what it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of folks we talked to, they're like enamored by this title of you know, business development. Gosh, that sounds magical. I, I totally knew what the what the gig involved. And in fact, I hated for the first like year, 18 months of the job, I hated so much that I said I, I was in sales. I felt like it was a derogatory thing um, that I said I was in business development. And everyone's like, you're not in business development though. You're in sales. And I'm like, shh, don't tell anyone. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it just seemed like so, I don't know. I think the only exposure I really had to sales, like true sales is like Mary Kay. And I'm like, people are, I'm just going to hustle people into buying my crop so I can pay my mortgage. And I'm like, that sounds awful. How did you know about sales? I mean, how did you know like anything about sales? Like, where did you learn that? Um, well, so both my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, my my dad managed a bunch of really um, enormous hotels in his, uh, his years. He was the general manager at the Waldorf Astoria. So I learned in New York City in the 70s. So I learned a lot about that. And then my mom ran a series of businesses. So like how to sell, what to do, what was involved in it. Um, learned all about that from her um, and then just got early exposure to just weird, but to sales technology and what that selling process was like. I had friends that were DuPont that were doing this. I had friends that were, I can't remember where uh, back in the early days, but that were doing this. And it just sounded, you know, again, it sounded like we we're hustling people into to buying stuff for us for our own benefit, which is, is the opposite of everything I stand for. Um, but I mean, I think it, it couldn't have been a better fit on my side, right? Like it was... It was, a, it was a perfect puzzle piece to exactly what I'm really good at. But but knowing that you still did it or or thinking that you still did it. So was it just a lack of options here? Or <laughs> like... You read my mind. You read my mind. You're like, you knew exactly. You, like, you chose you this life. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um... Why would you do that? So when I moved to DC, I moved to DC in 2007. It was really hard to find a job, right? Like we were yeah. like going into 2008 was really, really terrible. Um, 
you know, to climb and to be in. And after a couple of months, I couldn't find a job. So I took a job. I actually never talked about this on a podcast before, but I took a job at Pottery Barn. Um, and I was a manager of Pottery Barn. Actually, I loved that job. Um, if it actually paid normal things, I'd probably still be there. I loved working there. But after like insane weekend and night hours, I'm like, I have to find something different. So I fell I actually fell into a marketing role. Um, don't laugh at me, Ross. Um, and uh, fell, fell into that. And then 2008 rolled around and I got laid off. But the cool thing about that is like that when I interviewed for the sales role, they really, you know, they, they were impressed, whatever, and they really wanted me. So they said, you don't have to cold call. We'll let you come and do everything else, but no cold calls whatsoever. And I was like, okay, that, that I think I can handle. Let me take a gamble here. Do you feel like account management is sales? Or is it kind of like a little like watered down, it's kind of like soft, like you can't say fall on your sword type version of sales? <laughs> um, first of all, I'm offended by that. But second of all, <laughs> um, I think the, here's what I'll tell you. Like for me, account management was cushy. I had a base of clients. I had people I could build relationships with. I knew how to build rapport. I knew how to ask for business. I think that account managers get a bad rap because they, you know, they just wait for the renewal to come in. But like it can still be, especially if you're account managing for enterprise deals, it can still be a hustle and a grind to just figure out how to expand. But when I got I got promoted to net new enterprise sales two years in, so I never, never did SDR, I never did any of that stuff. Um, and I was terrified because there's nowhere to hide. You know, I mean, you yeah. have no clients, you have nothing, a book of business and good luck. Exactly. Um, and that was scary as shit. So tell us about that, because you had a pretty awesome run from so let's just get this right. You somehow skipped the line on cold calling, which was a yeah. uh, master play God. somehow. <laughs> like, yeah. I think there are going to be a lot you. of questions. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone here is going to be like, how? No, I, I seriously, like working for a small company was it. Like the the leader, the leaders there like didn't even have time to think about what you were doing to get your activity in. They were so, you know, over, over extended on everything they had to do. So it was just like, go figure it out. It was one of those environments where it's like, here's your book, make it happen. I will say the cool thing from the account management perspective, and I think something that really led to my success is when I was terrified um, of moving from net from expansion to net new, my CEO was like, you can take three accounts with you. There are three accounts that are unassigned. You can take those as a base. And so I looked to see where we had a great install base. And we had three of the largest law firms in the world um, working with our tiny $25 million company. And so I basically called up their CMO as like our ultimate title. And I said, Hey, I'm going to take over your account. I'd love to understand why do you work with us when you could work with anybody else? Um, and then the cool thing is like social selling started early for me. Um, I met with one of the CMOs, Jim Durham, uh, super, super nice, told me all the things of why they use us, right. Got, got exposure to, um, what we impacted at a C-suite level. And then at the end, because I took the time to build a relationship with him, he said, well, look at my LinkedIn network. If there's anybody that I know that you want to meet, just tell them you're a friend of mine and they should take a meeting with you. And I literally went back to our office in Richmond, Virginia. I stayed up the entire night and I did exactly that. I went through his entire network, through every law firm that I had that was in my book of business and then found the common connections and sent that through it in the subject line got a shitload of meetings. And then in two years, I signed 43 law firms um, and they got recruited away. You skipped the line on cold calling, entered into account management, moved to net, biz net new business. Um, but you know, it looks like you had an awesome run of actually going into management and the leadership. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, I think the um, when I got into net new, you know, and I got the the 43 accounts in two years, our company actually switched gears and resold a different product. And I actually quit. Um, <clears throat> the product was so bad that we were reselling that I was like, I'm going to burn all of my bridges. Um, but my CEO was like, you're, it sucks, you know, that you're going to leave, but you're incredible. So he actually called up the VP of a company called On24, where I spent six or so years and was like, she's leaving. If you want her, go get her. Um, Cause that's what we were reselling. So I got recruited over there. Um, and then I made it, you know, I started to talk about that's where Sam sales started. Like those posts started then um, because I would give all the sales advice. And then my boss's boss's boss would be like, Oh, I never thought to do that. And I'm like, well, why are you sitting there? And I'm here. Um, and so I started to post, right? Like build a brand on, on LinkedIn, do all that crap. And then um, just realized I wanted to be in leadership. You know, other people's wins were, as sweet as my own. Like I really was inspired by helping other people. And that's what I love about sales too. So um, in terms of getting to leadership, I basically sat our VP down. This was after the second year of, um, you know, I think I finished first year at number two, second year at number one. And I was like, how, how do I get promoted? So like, what are your issues? Like, what are you trying to solve for? And he gave me three issues, one of which was attrition and one of which was like making people feel more valued. So I created a mentorship program, an onboarding program, which we had nothing really of, and then created a culture club, which is the saddest name ever, which is why I'm in sales and not in marketing, because that's all I could come up with. Um, but it made impact. We tracked ROI, I got promoted, um, and then just kept, you know, crushing our quota, bringing on people that made, made President's Club, made Rep of the Year, Rookie of the Year. I interviewed 50 people before I hired my first rep, Katie, um, who is now at Salesforce. And she obliterated everybody else because we just worked in tandem um, really well. And then um, it was really loud on LinkedIn, really loud about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And LinkedIn asked me to come do a testimonial. Um, I peed my pants for a little bit with excitement. And then I was like, sure, and played it cool, um, much like when I got asked to be on this podcast. And um, then I went over there and basically fell off my stool with enthusiasm of the platform. And they're like, you should come work here. Um, so I did. And then while I was at LinkedIn, I broke my 13th sales record. And I was just like, what can I do on my own? You know, I wonder, I'm making a ton of money for everybody else. I wonder what I can do on my on my own. And so took the scary leap in the fall of 2019 to do that. I will say like, pro, pro tip, you cannot be an SDR for six months and then decide that you're going to release your own playbook or guide yeah. or $199 system. You need some experience <laughs> before you go out there. Can we talk about that for a you while? You just crushed what? so many dreams right now, Sam. Just... <laughs> and, and triggered you both intensely. <laughs> they all want me to come on their podcast. I'm like, oh my god! Like, if I did every one of those podcasts, I would. What do you? Yeah. How How do you say nothing. no to that, Ross? You You tell me because I get this all day, every day. I'm sure you get it tenfold. How do you say like no? You're not. Honestly, it's really it's really fucked up. I I say <laughs> you need to you need to email like my agent or chief of staff, and yeah. they'll, they'll coordinate. That's what I say. That's and like <laughs> you know, and like the coordination just somehow doesn't work. I don't know. I don't know how it ever it never works out. But I'm curious, what did you learn? Like when you went into that management role, what kind of shifted in your perspective around like, you know, most reps believe you know, leadership management, whoever has is like very out of touch or they kind of lose their edge or you know, how did your perspective change in that switch? I, I don't know if this is a if this is a good or a bad thing still, but I think I never I never really saw that line, um, especially from frontline manager to managing ICs. I just I 
I really always felt like we were a, a team. And I think that leaders often think like, well, I'm a leader, you know, I can't tell you things, whatever. I was never that way with my team. Full transparency, super yeah. honest about what was going on. But I think like the other thing was, I think what made me different, and I, I posted about this today, like I was just pretty insubordinate. <laughs> And what I'm, what I mean by that, right. is like, you, we've all been there, right. We have leaders who are like, give them a 50% discount to get it in by the end of Q3. And you're like, I'll see if it'll work. And then you absolutely don't do it. Cause you know, it's the worst strategy right. on the planet. Um, right. That's basically what we did left and right. Right. Like that's how, that's how we always overperform was by not listening to leaders that just didn't know how to do it. Um, I, I, and I think that that was it. Like, you know, figure figure out how to still be, especially as a frontline manager, figure out how to still be in the trenches with your leaders or your, your reps and coach them, actually coach them on what to do better. That's true. Most most managers just kind of sit back. They react. They're much more reactive to, oh, pipeline's not looking good. Oh, you're forecasting not exactly what I want to see. And then it's like, then they get involved. I think you've got like, you've a lot of leaders who just like literally, and, and, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a lot of guys who were in sales for like six months. And then someone in leadership was like, you're not doing so well, but we think you'd make a great leader. And so they promote them to like manager or director or whatever. And I'm like, this person has no idea how to sell. The first time I was passed over for a promotion, it was for someone else who had been at the company for three years and had never once hit above 80% of his quota. Meanwhile, I had president's club like the last two years. And I'm like, how did this happen? Um, so you have leaders who don't know, they don't know how to sell, they don't know how to engage, right? Or you have leaders who are great at that, but they're not great at operational stuff. And I find like, I find that like the seller leader is really rare. The operational, like here's your forecast on the run rate is very common. Um, but they like how to dazzle a client, how to actively listen, how to just give a shit about another human um, seems to really lack. But I do want to get into working for yourself, Sam, because there is a lot of glamour that seems to surround that. And you've now done it. So maybe you can share what that was actually like. Full glamour. All I do is get facials all day. Um, it is it is a grind, you guys. It's so much fucking work. Um, but it's it's like the it's the best job you've ever had. I'll tell you, like we when I started, the whole idea was I'm gonna do I'm gonna work part time. I'm gonna work 20 hours a week. And I make half the money I made in SaaS. And like, that's enough for me. Um, and that went out the window within a week, right? And we we signed, I signed a few clients. And then February of the next year, so we started in September, February of the next year, we hired a first person. Um, and now we're an all women team of 14, um, 160 or so clients. So we've done okay for three years in business. But the thing that people don't think about is like, you don't set something up in a business and then let it sit. Like you're always revamping your website, your offerings, your pricing, your proposals, your pitch deck, your, all of the decks that you present, right? And then as a solopreneur, right? Or as a solo salesperson, you are selling, you're managing, you're doing the finances, you're doing all of that. And then you have to do the work that you actually sold. So it's more work you know, than I've ever had in my life, but it's the best. And I think that's also how we grew. Like when I was at my desk for 12, 14 hours a day or working, you know, two additional hours at night, I started to think like, what can I shove off my plate that doesn't need my brain, right? So finances gone, scheduling, just scheduling me, right? Like you were saying, Ross, gone. Yeah, got um, to get that one we, out. Yeah, forget it. Um, but we hired, I think the cool thing about this business, right, is like, 
we don't have uh, grand plans to be a hundred million ARR business. Like we'll never be that. And frankly, I don't want to be that. Like I love the fact that we can impact awesome companies, awesome clients, and that we can also have a little bit of balance in our lives. So we just stole our, um, our VP of sales came over from a company called Cision. And I was like, one of the perks of you being here is that you will never have to be on a forecast call again. I just don't care. I don't care. We have enough predictable revenue. We, I don't need to forecast. I don't need to do any of that. I don't need to know what, you know, whatever you've got. I just want to know how your deals are moving and what I can do to help accelerate them. And that's it. And just not having to ever do that again is, I mean, like that's worth it. <laughs> You're just selling the, the, the dream on all fronts, like sales <laughs> without having to do cold calls, leadership without having to do forecast calls. Like, no, no, what what paradise what, is this? What you what really is walk into here? This is this is a whole different type. It sounds of reality. like Valhalla. Honestly. Well, we'll see. We'll see how long we survive. We might just be the the new shiny penny that people are excited about, and then no one's gonna no one's gonna love Sam sales after this. Um, but we're, we're eagerly awaiting 161st client. Um, something that rhymes with scratch pad would be great. Who said that? <laughs> I love well, usually we do this. We do Sales this. Towards the never end. ever stop selling. We love that. <laughs> we do this we towards the end, but maybe, maybe we can fill it in, um, right here. Give a, why don't you drop a, drop a pitch for Sam sales here? Like, what do you all do? Highlight that. Make it cute. Um, what yeah. we do, so we've got like five, five, six lines of business. We do every sales training under the sun. We help you build and reorg your entire BDR organization from tech stack, onboarding, training, messaging, all that stuff. Do everything on social selling. We write a ton of sequences. So you guys know the messaging that you get in sales emails is awful. So we help people write it based on data in our own style. Um, but we more, more than anything, like we just, and then I speak. Um, I speak at a ton of conferences and all sorts of stuff, like 100 150 times a year, um, SKOs, all that crap. Um, but I think like the thing that's different about us, like in our trainings is we're methodology agnostic. We don't do any spin, sandler, any of that crap, like forget it. We just teach you how to be a human being, how to do your homework, how to show up prepared for a call, how to care about someone and, you know, like who they are, what they, what they're interested in. Um, and then I think everything is really tangible. So, I just, I just came from a, a conference and the feedback that I got was your session was the only one where I actually learned something that I can apply today. Everything else was fluffy. I don't even understand how you present for an hour and not teach someone something. Um, plus we're pretty energetic. Plus I've actually been there, done that um, as an IC and a leader. Um, and we've got jokes. I made Russ laugh once, I think so. We got jokes. We got yeah. jokes. How, how to be a human, how to, how to care and, and listen. It, isn't that the curriculum of elementary school? You would think so. Isn't writing an email and knowing how to spell the there correctly? Yeah, I mean, I'm t I'll, I'll tell you, like, I think some of this stuff, if you get it, you get it. But like when we teach show me, you know me, we're like, here's how you break into a company. Here's how you do a little bit of research on the human um, and then write something in the subject line that'll catch their attention. So a guy submitted an example to us the other day and he's like, how'd I do? And it talked about chocolate and baseball. And if he's excited about opening day of baseball in Miami and we're like, what does um, chocolate and baseball have to do with this guy? I don't see anything on his profile. And he's like, well, I don't know. He lives in Miami and there's a baseball team down there. And I figure him, he's a guy. So he probably likes chocolate. What? <laughs> what? Um, and it, that's, <laughs> it's like 90% of what we run into. So it's wow. again, if you get it, you get it. But yeah, um, but it, it, but it's a cool thing. It's, you know, 
again, the stuff that we teach, like if, even if you take one thing, you change the opening of your discovery call differently. You send a thank you note when you lose a deal. You, you know, ask for a referral proactively. If you just do one thing, you see immediate impact from what we teach. And that is how we get adoption from reps because reps are like, holy shit, it worked. And we're like, we know, go do it again. Um, that's what, that's a little bit what's different about us. I think you're spot on in that there's, there's some basics that have seemed to be lost along the way somehow. And in some of those basics or those fundamentals just help you connect. It's, I mean, it's even like weirder stuff, right? Like, let's say like we booked a call with Ben um, and Ben was like, Hey, I'm going to bring Puyan onto our call. What I see most reps do is they'll get on, Ben will join. And then we're like, Hey Ben, just waiting for your boss to join. <laughs> they don't yeah. like engage. They don't talk. They don't build a rapport. Yeah. And we're like, it's, it's, it's as, it's as basic as that. Like forget multi-threading and negotiation and all of that. It's like, how do you even show up on the first date, right? And if it's terrible, well, we've really got to fix that in the foundations of everything else before we really move on to the, the nitty gritty stuff. There seems to be a trend of more folks getting into advisory positions. And I was looking mm. at your LinkedIn, I was like, whoa, like you, th- you've also got that, like an advisor to many companies, which is really cool. What's that experience like? I think it's really cool. I think you're you have a chance to help founders, right? Like figure it out, especially founders, first time founders or even second time that don't know how to sell, don't know how to operationalize, don't know don't know even how to hire, right? A lot of these people come to us and say like, I wanna hire a VP of sales. And we're like, well, you don't have a product yet. So that's probably not a good idea. Um, but I think, you know, the, the thing that I love about it is I feel like it's a traditionally minimal time investment. Um, traditionally we have an equity play, uh, in a company and we're just kind of gambling our time to see, you know, if they do well, um, and then they sell some of the other ones are, you know, financial investments. So we're, we're making a play like go to market fund, um, that I, I'm an LP and, um, is a, is a financial investment every year. And then there's a few other companies that I've, I've, you know, put some money into, but I think it's, it's a really cool thing because you get to feel like you can impact their growth. Um, and then if they really grow or if they get acquired, then it's a nice serious payout. But I was going to ask, Sam, what are you seeing around like the world of remote now? I was just like, I can't imagine what it's like to be a little SDR, like in their apartment, their shitty little apartment in New York, like trying to make cold calls. And like, there's no transfer of knowledge, like the tribal knowledge doesn't go to the next, like all the things that you teach or the things that good reps do, like these new reps no longer get to see. And like, what are you seeing or hearing from companies right now and how they're dealing with that like knowledge transfer loss? I think the biggest thing is like the is how we're how we're shadowing and then also how we're thinking about these BDRs getting getting to to like latch on the deals. So if you've got a BDR, right, like we're taking them through onboarding, we're taking them through all that training and everything. Hopefully we're spot checking them, we're helping right them them continue to enable. But I think there's a critical inflection point for those BDRs, right? If they do show some success and they do show potential to be an AE, what are we doing to kind of help train them while they're remote, right? And that that kind of middle ground space. So are we giving them a chance to go after crack open an account book that first discovery call do all of that while they ae shotguns right i think that's a great opportunity to do knowledge transfer and also have that that partnership because then you can actually before dropping this poor sdr into the, the hot water give them a chance to go and, and ride this out on their own i think the remote thing is to me it's huge right like i've i've been remote for 
you know, 12 years. Um, I was LinkedIn's first employee in the US that was hired remote. Everybody else, you had to work in an office and then have some, you know, whatever extenuating circumstances that got you to move. And I'll tell you, it was a tough fit, um, even being remote, not the knowledge transfer thing, but people being like, why do you get to be remote? And I don't, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Um, but I think like- I'm better than you. Next question. That's what I said. I don't know why they didn't like me. Listen, it's fine. Oh, you see that President's Club um, award right there? Yeah. <laughs> you see these trophies? Yeah. Um, but but I think like I think remote remote is where it's at. And you know, people I, there's so many people who are arguing about that whole idea of like, you know, we have to go back to the office, the knowledge transfer, things like that. I think if you make the the baseline, we are gonna be remote, work from wherever the hell you want to work. Here's where we have offices and support for you, or we work memberships or whatever the hell it is, or come in to the office. We want you to come in twice a week. Um, I think there was like an Adam Grant thing about that, like maximum two times a week is all you really need to have that knowledge transfer. I think you can build that in. We don't necessarily have to be together. I mean, I'll tell you, like our entire organization is remote. We have people from Hawaii all the way to Dublin and everything in between. No one, and half of our staff is military and expat spouses, right? Like they didn't know anything about sales. They didn't know anything about SaaS before they started. And we figured it out. You just, you just have to have the right, right path to do it. What do you see? What do you, do you think it's, do you think um, companies are failing that way or? I think that most of them are failing, but I don't think it's, I think many of them are trying, but I think there's more of a psychological and mental like issue more so than I think like than it is the knowledge transfer. I think some of them can do a pretty good job of the knowledge transfer and the shadowing programs and the like, you know, you'll see groups like sales teams all hop on the same zoom, but like just be muted and kind of like be working together and like have those conversations. Uh, but I think, I think it's just for me, I want to be like, if I'm going to fail, like I want to fail around my friends who are also failing, <laughs> it feels way more okay. Since sales is like mostly a game of failing and yeah. it's harder, for, it would be much harder. And I'm just speaking purely for myself to stay motivated, like ripping 80 dials here by myself. Yeah. In you your, know? in your apartment for sure. And especially like, especially new in your, in your career. Um, it's like, what, what to do beyond that. Right. Cause like nobody wants to do the zoom happy hour. Oh my God. Nobody wants to do the zoom happy hour. And so how do you, how do you stay connected? How do you keep them motivated? Um, uh, while also giving them, you know, the freedom, um, to, to do the stuff they're supposed to do every day. John Porter.